Welcome to Going Platinum, the show where one man will review some of the most iconic, or not so iconic, albums of all time. Here is your host, Luke Kane. Thank you for turning in to the first edition of Going Platinum. My name is Luke Kane, where I get to review albums from the past. So, my favorite band is Queen. And I figured today we would look at what is widely considered to be their most successful album to date, A Night at the Opera. But before I do that, I want to go into a little bit of backstory as to how this album came to be. The band had just come off a really successful hit single, Killer Queen, under their album Share Heart Attack. The tour that followed was pretty successful in Europe and North America. However, at the end of it, the band was still in debt and poor, thanks to manager Norman Sheffield. So they fired Norman Sheffield and they hired a new manager, John Reed, who managed Elton John. What was cool is that John Reed said to the band, okay, let me deal with all the financial stuff. You guys go into the studio and record the best album you've ever made. And on November 21st, 1975, they released a monster hit of an album, way better than Sheer Heart Attack that came before it. It's also worth noting that no synthesizers were used in the making of this album, nor the last three albums before that, nor the next three albums after that. They were highly against that, mainly due to the fact that they wanted a raw, natural sound. So, any sort of sound that may come from this album that you think is from a keyboard, it's not. So, with that said, let's get into the first couple songs. Death on Two Legs is the first song on A Night at the Opera. It was written by Freddie Mercury as a tribute to their former manager. Freddie Mercury hated this guy, mainly for stealing their money and abusing his power. Don't believe me? Well, listen to the first verse of the song itself, and you can judge for yourself. Yeah, he hated him that much. And keep in mind, that's like half of the first verse. I can't play any more of that song, but just go listen to the song for yourself if you really want to know any more. I mean, the song is called Death on Two Legs. Obviously, it's got to be something bad, right? Right? Anyways, so I want this to set the tone for how this album is going. You have a hard rock song starting out, and then it immediately transitions to something more mellow. The next song in the album is titled Lazing on a Sunday Afternoon, also written by Freddie Mercury. And this is one of those songs that is kind of folk, kind of jazz, kind of all over the place. Well, to give you an example of Queen using different techniques, how they recorded the vocals to make it sound more like something coming out of a megaphone or loudspeaker was they recorded the vocals, then put the track into a metal bucket and recorded that on another microphone. And it sounds a little bit like this. Q 
Queen loved using different recording techniques in their songs, and I think it's pretty cool that multiple are used in this album alone. Another one that's really prominent is coming up later in the album. It's actually in the beginning of side two. But for now, we're going to transition into song number three. Track three probably has the most interesting name of all time, I'm in love with my car. Let me repeat that. I'm in love with my car. Andy Ward for the greatest song about an inanimate object goes to I'm in love with my car. Congratulations, Roger Taylor. You have something to be accomplished of for this song. Okay, okay, okay. I'll give this song credit. It's actually really good. The story of how this song came to be is actually even funnier. So... When Brian May, the guitar player, originally heard the idea for this song, he was like, you're joking, right? And Roger Taylor was like, no, I'm not joking. I want this on the album. <laughs> In fact, Taylor was so adamant about getting this song released as a single that he locked himself in the cupboard when the band didn't agree to it. Eventually, the band did agree to release it as a B-side to another very successful song from this album, which we will get into later on. But for right now, I want to enlighten you with some of the lyrics to this song. <clears throat> with my hands on your grease gun, it's like a disease, son. I'm in love with my car. Got a feel for that automobile. Yeah. Nice, nice going there. This song instantly becomes a meme for the Queen fandom. Am I right, guys? Or am I right? Track number four is a song that many Queen fans probably know, maybe even non-Queen fans. It is You're My Best Friend, written by John Deacon. John Deacon, in my opinion, is the most underrated member of Queen. He's released quite a few tracks that have gained lots of national attention, and international attention as well. This song in particular was written as an ode to his wife, his best friend, and he, like Roger Taylor, was also very adamant about getting this song released as a single. Only this time, it actually succeeded at being released as an A-side. And a weird thing is that he was vocal about it. Normally, he wasn't. Normally, John Deacon is very quiet and very reserved when it came to, you know, recording sessions. But for this song, this is the first time that he was very vocal. Not in the song, he didn't sing anything but he was very adamant about getting this song released as a single. I think many people like this song because it shows Queen's softer side. It's more of a ballad than anything, and you don't get a lot of that hard-hitting tracks like you got in Death on Two Lakes and I'm in Love with My Car. Not really much of that. Instead, you have this Wurlitzer electric piano like doing that thing, ba da 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 and that's just really cool, even though Freddie Mercury didn't like the sound of that. But it went over really well, in my opinion, to the point where commercials are still playing this song. This song helped leave a legacy on this album. And so did track 5 a little bit. Track 5 is one of my favorites from this album. It's called 39, written and sung by Brian May. Um, this song has a little bit more of the folk aspect to this album. Mainly, it tells a really interesting story. So, the year is 1939. Astronauts are flown into space on a mission in search for new lands. 
Unfortunately, due to the time dilation effect, their perception of time is different from how it really is on Earth. When they get back home, they think they've only been gone for one year, but they've actually been gone for a hundred years, and all their family members are either dead or at old age. It's kind of a sad, depressing tale at the very end. They want them to be there for their family, but they missed everything. And the line, for my life still ahead, pity me, without the comfort of their family or friends, because they're all dead. The actual song itself is different than the hard rock queen we're used to know. No, it's actually a lot more on the lines of folk slash sci-fi skiffle, where John Deacon is playing double bass. All you hear Roger Taylor doing is bass drum and tambourine and some really high falsetto notes. And Brian May is just on the acoustic guitar singing his heart out. This song, along with Death on Two Legs, became staples of Queen concerts for a while until the 1980s when the game album came out and they wanted to enter synthesizers. It's such a shame because this song could have been released as a single and would be a very great sing-along hit for the band. But, alas, we cannot change the past. Still a really cool song, though. Track 6 is a tune called Sweet Lady, also written by Brian May, but sung by Freddie Mercury this time around. I like how it switches time signatures quite a bit. I'm a really big fan of those, especially in prog rock and metal rock. Speaking of rock, this song has a lot more of a rock edge, but not as much as Death on Two Legs. Anyways, the lyrics of this song are also questionable, but it doesn't get the award like I'm in love with my card does. No, mainly the lyric that kind of sounds really weird is, You call me sweet like I'm some kind of cheese. Those who have seen the movie Bohemian Rhapsody know what scene I'm referencing. Something to note, Roger Taylor said that this is the hardest track for him to record drums for in all of Queen's repertoire. Just a little bit of trivia. But this song as a whole, it's okay, I guess. I mean, that's just my opinion. I want to know your opinion on this. So go follow my Twitter page. It's going platinum. My at is platinum going where you can post me at me about anything that I said on this album or any of the songs, or you can leave any suggestions on what I should do next for the show. Anyway, next song. It's time for another song without guitars. It is Seaside Rendezvous, the final song on side one. This song is like a typical happy-go-lucky song with, you know, just being by the beach with your lover, having a good time, yada, yada, yada. And I really love the instrumentation to this song. Yeah, it's a, you know, bass, drums, piano, and a vocalized jazz band by Roger Taylor and Freddie Mercury doing woodwinds and brass. In fact, I'd like to play a clip from that track. Check it out. It's a fashionable. Props to Roger for hitting that high note at the end there. Wow. If there was any time Queen decided not to use a synthesizer, this is it. And instead of having any sort of horns, nope, just do it themselves. In fact, they even mimic tap dancing. 
they just took some metal and hit some other metal, and boom, that's tap dancing, which I thought was really cool. Anyways, that's going to do it for side one of A Night at the Opera. But we still have one more side to go, and this next song, oh boy, get ready. Side two starts us off with the Prophet song, and this is my personal favorite song of this album. This is eight minutes long, making it the longest Queen track until Freddie Mercury's death. The reason why I like it so much is that it's so complex with a lot of parts to it, and the fact that you never hear the same thing twice until you get to the canon section. The canon section was pretty much speaking into a microphone to where it came out of the left monitor, then delayed it, went out into the right monitor. And that is the highlight of this song right here. It's about two minutes long, and I'm just going to play a little clip for you right now. Total ear candy. Another thing to note about this song is that a lot of effects were used. Have I mentioned enough times that synthesizers were not used in this album? Because I don't think you know that synthesizers weren't used in this album. Anyways, some of the effects used or different instruments used included a toy Kodo, reversing the track and then speeding up the track, and using a covered air conditioner for the beginning that sounds like a desert. What sucks about this track a little bit is that the guitar solo towards the end of the song seems small. Like, the sound seems small. It's not that a lot of tracks were used in the making of this song specifically, but the more and more you add to the whole of the song, the more it makes everything else that you want to make loud softer by comparison. It sucks that the solo had to be as soft as it did, because it could have been really cool. But, again, it wasn't. The ending of this song is a lot like how it began. Very somber whooshing effect, the toy Kodo leading into a guitar, and then segueing immediately into our next song. Turn the volume down because it's time for the ballad of this album, Love of My Life written by Freddie Mercury for his love of his life, Mary Austin. For Queen fans, this song may sound very different from how it is done live, and you'd be right. This song is played on piano instead of the live versions having guitar, but it didn't really matter for how successful this song became. Love of My Life is still being played in Queen concerts to this day. It is that good. Who knew that just a simple guitar could make things sound so much better? A lot of people know the words to this song, and they continue to sing the lyrics to this song, and where Freddie Mercury would just conduct them singing. In fact, there was even one concert where the crowd sang, and Freddie Mercury just sat back and didn't do anything. It, the crowd loved this song so much. It held a lot of meaning to Freddie, and it held a lot of meaning to the fans. And it still holds a lot of meaning to Queen fans today. After that heartfelt ballad, here's another jolly old song written by Brian May. 
Track 10 is a song called Good Company, also sung by Brian May. The interesting thing about this song is that it sounds a lot like a big band, like a jazz swing band, and a lot of the parts are covered by Brian May's guitar. I want to talk a little bit about the guitar for a second. Brian May's Red Special is one of the best looking guitars ever. It is so iconic and the sounds that come out of it are just magnificent. Allow me to play a clip of Good Company to demonstrate his abilities. You can really see the jazz inspiration that Brian may like to mimic, and I think is a really good addition to this album. But we all know the real big song on this album. Bohemian Rhapsody, Queen's best song and the leading single from this album. There's no denying the massive success this song got. It is the reason why Night at the Opera is such a good freaking album. This song was Freddie Mercury's baby. And at first, the record companies didn't like it. Why? Because it was about six minutes long. But the band wanted it released as a single. As the single. But the record companies wouldn't like to program things that were over three minutes long. So they went to a man by the name of Kenny Everett. And they played the song on his show about 14 times in about a week. And it helped launch this band into superstardom like it had never seen before. I'm not even going to play you this song. I think we all have heard at least some part of this song, if not all of it. It's an epic poem combining ballad, opera, and hard rock. Not even almost... 45 years later, it still hasn't gotten enough attention as one of the best songs of all time, and also one of the best music videos of all time. The final track on this album is the national anthem of Great Britain, God Save the Queen. It's God Save the Queen. That's it. Final thoughts. This is a masterpiece of an album. I admire the amount of professionalism and creativity that Queen used throughout the making of this epic poem of an album. It's obvious that A Night at the Opera has withstood the test of time. It peaked at number 4 on the Billboard 200, Bohemian Rhapsody became one of the best-selling singles ever, and it recognized Queen as a force to be reckoned with. Oh, and it got him out of debt. I think that is a perfect way to end off this episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to Going Platinum. I hope to have episodes out every other Saturday. If there's anything I can recommend to you is to listen to this album. Go on Spotify, go on iTunes, go on whatever you want to. Just listen to it, and I want to know what you think about it. My Twitter is going platinum. If you want to post anything on there, what you feel about this album, that's great. Until next time, guys.